who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Sidewalk Audio and PatioBooks.com presents The Prince of Hazel and Oak A podcast novel by John Lenahan Book two of the Shadow Magic series. Read by the author. Chapter 31. The Digs. I sat in the back of Red's boat with my arms crossed and refused to speak to anyone on the way to the island. I had fostered a fantasy that I was the leader of this group, but when everybody ignored me by waltzing into the strange man's boat, I realized that my leadership qualities only applied to my horse, and then probably not even to him. Left with the option of sitting by myself on a damp beach, or getting a free ride in a sturdy, seaworthy vessel to a destination I had been laboring for weeks to get to, I decided to go, but I wasn't going to do it without a really good pout. The boat was big enough for all of us, and maybe a couple more. There were two large oars set in iron oar locks. Red ordered Araf and Tawn to man an oar each, and the two of them stepped lively to their stations, faster than they ever did anything for me. Obviously, Red was now the captain. Well, they'd be sorry, I thought, when he makes them row off the end of the world. The boat cut through the surf like we were sailing on a mill pond. When we got out into deeper water, Red ordered the rowers to stop and climbed up to the edge of the bow. From the floor of the boat, he picked up two metal rings that were attached to thick ropes. He clanged the rings together. They vibrated in his hands, producing an eerie sound, and then he threw them into the water. Ooh, that tickles, he said, flexing his fingers and then rubbing his hands together. Then he sat and smiled at us. None of us spoke. When you're in the middle of the ocean with a leering madman at the helm, silence is definitely the best policy. You literally don't want to rock the boat. Saying that, I was in a bad mood, and I'm not very good with uncomfortable silences. I was just about to demand to know what was going on when the ropes in the water went taut. The boat lurched, and we started speeding towards the island like we were being pulled by a nuclear submarine. How is this happening? I shouted to Red, but... 
He was oblivious, facing out to the sea with his arms spread like he was flying or recreating some scene from a movie about a doomed cruise liner. Togtine Island loomed before us. It looked like your typical volcanic deserted island. There was a lot of vegetation, but no trees. I assumed that the lake Red spoke about was up on the island's plateau. Strangely, the ocean air felt warmer the further we got from the shore. About half an hour out, Red turned around and said, Can you feel it? Feel what? Turlow said. Can you feel yourself getting older? Turlow was on his feet. A raft grabbed onto the side of the boat as it shook. Stop the boat, Turlow said. Why would you do that? We're almost there. Turlow flicked his wrist and his banshee blade flew into his hand with frightening speed. Stop the boat now, he demanded. Turlow, Brendan said, what's gotten into you? He is trying to kill us. He is going to turn us into gray ones. He's going to take us out to sea and we will grow old and die. Turlow took a step towards Red. Turn us around. Banshees think that pointy things up their sleeves are the answers to everything. Red said in his light-hearted manner. Then he turned stone-cold serious. Take one more step towards me with that sharp thing, Banshee, and you will go back. Swimming. Turlow and Red stared at each other for half a minute, then Turlow flicked his blade back up his sleeve and sat down. Good, Red said, regaining his jovial tone. My island will not kill you, Banshee nor will it turn you gray. Have any of you been to the real world? Brendan and I sheepishly raised our hands. You will have to go further than my island to wither and die. The island will age you as fast as you age in the real world. Stay for 80 seasons and you will notice the difference. Red looked out to the sea, then quickly turned back to us with concerned eyes. You're not staying for 80 seasons, are you? A wooden dock loomed up ahead as our magical underwater motor died. Red fished the rings out of the water and reordered Raff and Tawn back to rowing duty. What was pulling us? I asked. Raff gave me that sideways look like he does when I make a Tirnanogian social faux pas. It's apparently bad manners to ask how someone's magic works. Red didn't seem to mind, but that didn't mean he was going to give me a straight answer. You were pulled by the past into the future, she said. We followed Red on a narrow path through head-high vegetation. The trail didn't seem to be used much. Periodically, it was so overgrown with gorse bushes that they caught and scratched our clothing and faces. Red, I called out from the back of the parade, where is the eel lake? He ignored me, or... Maybe he was just lost in his own world. Both were possible. I passed my question up the line to Brendan, who only succeeded in getting Red's attention by tapping him on the shoulder. The message was relayed back to me like we were in a schoolyard playing a game of Chinese whispers. Over a shoulder, Araf said, He said we cannot go there today. Why not? I asked, then shouted it to Brendan. Ask him why not. Why don't you ask me yourself? Red shouted back. I waited, then hollered, Okay, why can't we get there today? Because it's too late, and you're almost at the digs. The what? I shouted, and got no reply. 
Red had gone back to his hard-of-hearing mode. The gores thinned out and we came to a clearing. In the middle stood a wooden guesthouse, not unlike the ones in the Pylands. Welcome to the digs. You can stay here the night. As we got closer, it became obvious that no one had stayed in this place for a long, long time. Vines grew across the porch, and there was so much dirt in the windows that Brendan had to wipe the glass with his sleeve to look in. Red opened the door and invited us to enter before him. Inside, the only good light was from the window that Brendan had just cleaned. On the floor, we left footprints in a quarter inch of dust that reminded me of astronauts on the moon. I see your housekeeper is on vacation, I said, but Red wasn't behind me. I went outside and he wasn't there either. I walked the entire perimeter of the clearing, but there was no Red. I went back inside. He's gone. Who's gone? Brendan asked. Red's gone, vanished into thin air. Don't be silly, Brendan said, and went outside with everyone else to look for him. They all came back wearing my confused countenance. He's gone. Gosh, I said, is he? It was dark by the time we got the digs habitable. I just hoped that none of us had any dust alleries, because if he did, he was going to keep us up all night. The stack of wood outside was mostly rotten, but there was enough to get a decent fire going. Brendan found a dusty bottle of something. He uncorked it, had a sniff, and thought better of it and put it back. The digs may have been a bit neglected and forlorn, but it was good to be inside with a roaring fire for a change. We spoke into the night, mostly about the strangeness of our host, but came to no conclusions except that our host was strange. After a light meal made from our dwindling rations, Brendan decided to take a walk, and I went with him. Are you okay? I asked him as my breath fogged in the starlit night. You sound like I shouldn't be. Well, you did seem pretty mad at yourself yesterday when you wrongly accused Turlo. Oh, that. I flew off the handle, and for that I'm mad at myself. But I'm not wrong about Turlo. I beg your pardon? It took a while, but my cop radar tells me he's not to be trusted. I'm sure I was right about him. I just don't have any proof. Your radar once said I was a murderer. No. It told me there was something wrong with you, Connor, and I'm sure I wasn't wrong there. So what should I do? Tie up Turlo because your bunion is throbbing? I'll figure it out, Connor. I always do. Just, just don't turn your back on him. That night when I put my head on what I laughingly called my pillow, I thought about my chat with a local cop. Part of me wanted to distrust Turlo, but... As much as I hated to admit it, I was begrudgingly starting to like Turlo. I know I shouldn't put much stock in my nocturnal soothsaying, but I had a feeling that if he really was betraying us, I would have dreamt about it. I put those thoughts aside and tried for the first time ever to direct my dreams. I closed my eyes and said to myself over and over again, Where are the red eels? Where are the red eels? I fell asleep with that mantra in my head, but... It didn't work. The stupid image of Red grinning at me annoyed me not only during the day, but in dreamland as well. The next morning I awoke to see the same grinning face sitting next to a roaring fire inside the digs. 
How Red could sneak in and rekindle our fire without waking us worried me. He was wearing a ridiculous outfit made from what looked like snakeskin. Imagine a pair of crocodile lederhosen and you get the idea. He had fish cooking between a wire mesh. I expected him to say, Guten Morgen, but he just waved when he saw me. More fish for breakfast, I said. Yum. He offered me a cup of tea, which I accepted. When can we leave for Eel Lake? Apparently his hearing was fine this morning. I'm waiting for you. I expect that everyone be up and ready to go. It's not an easy hike, you know. I aroused everyone, and after a quick brekkie of mackerel and moss tea that surprisingly wasn't as bad as it sounds, we were out the door and heading towards the highlands in the middle of the island. The trail to Eel Lake was worse than the one to the digs. The gorse bushes often encroached on the path to the point where it was impossible to pass. Instead of hacking our way through like I would have done in the real world, we had to plead with the bushes to back off. It was slow going. I tapped Red on the shoulder as we walked. I had made sure I was directly behind him so he couldn't ignore me. I thought you said you came up here a lot. I do. This doesn't look like a well-used path to me. It's not. I waited, but Red wasn't in an extrapolating mood. Sometimes it was easier when he ignored me. So how do you get up there? I finally asked. I go an easier way. So why aren't we going that way? My way wouldn't be easier for you. Why not? I asked a couple of times, along with some shoulder taps, but Red was just as good at ignoring me when I was directly behind him as he was when I was at the end of the parade. As the morning progressed, the trail became much steeper. Whoever originally designed this route didn't bother with any of that zigzagging to make the climbing easier stuff. When the mountain got steep, so did the path. Getting down on all fours became common. Eventually, I wouldn't say we were hiking as much as rock climbing. An hour after missing my lunch, we finally took a break on a level shelf about two-thirds of the way up. We were all, including Red, uncharacteristically exhausted. I wondered if our lack of stamina was due to being so far away from the immortality mojo of the mainland. It was a thought I kept to myself. We drank from a sparkling, clear stream that fed into a small pond. Next to Jared's wine, it was one of the nicest things I'd ever drunk. So tell me, son of door, Red said. What are you going to do with those red eels when you find them? I'm going to use them to cure my father. Cure him? Of what? I really didn't want to tell him, but I didn't have the strength to lie, so I explained about Dad reattaching his hand and how the same hand was killing him. Red's reaction surprised me. For the first time since I met him, he looked truly interested. And what makes you think that red eels will help? Have you ever heard of the Gray Men? Oh, Red said. I remember the Gray Ones. I found an old manuscript that told of the Gray Ones' search for the blood of the red eels. Red was agitated and on his feet. This manuscript said red eels? No, that's the translation into the common tongue. The scroll said that they were searching for the blood of Taw Time. We came here because a puka once called this place Taw Tyne Island. Red placed both of his hands over his mouth to cover his surprise and then threw his head back and began to laugh. 
If anyone else had done this, it would have made them look like they were losing it. But with Red, it strangely made him, for the first time, look sane. I should have known, he said, and began to walk down the mountain. Wait a minute, I said, grabbing him by the arm. He spun around like a rag doll, still laughing. What should you have known? I cannot believe I walked halfway up this mountain just so I could find out what you wanted with eels. Thank you for reminding me why I live alone. He laughed again, but then he became angry. For the love of the gods, has the land gotten so stupid that the Prince of Or can't even translate two simple words? He grabbed my head with both hands and pulled my face close to his. Tyne, my feeble-minded gold miner, does not mean red, it means fire. And taw does not mean eel. Do you not have scholars endure? Have you never heard of the Hall of Knowledge? The Hall of Knowledge is gone. Gone? What do you mean, gone? It was destroyed. Red grabbed me by my shirt and spun me to the left. I lost my footing and he fell on top of me, still pulling my shirt with both fists. What? What have you done? He said, with fire in his eyes. I didn't do anything. I lost my grandfather there. Red let me go, stood and started back down the path. I cannot help you, he said, without turning around. I chased after him. What does it mean? What does tall mean? I placed my hand on his shoulder. He stopped, but didn't face me. It means worm. Now, leave my island. He strode down the path with his arms outstretched, brushing the gorse bushes. As he did, they closed behind him. We couldn't have followed him even if we wanted to. The rest of the gang was on their feet with their mouths open. Does anybody know what just happened? I asked. You have been listening to The Prince of Hazel and Oak, a podcast novel by John Lenahan. Music gratefully provided by Lunasa. You can hear more of their fabulous music at www.lunasa.ie. That's L-U-N-A-S-A dot I-E. You can learn more about Shadow Magic and its author on www.shadowmagic.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. Shadow Magic, book one of the series, is available from HarperCollins in paperback, EPUB, and Kindle formats.